blog, and I am coming to you live from the call-in app. My special guest today is my dearest friend, Lynn Griesemer, and we will be discussing the potential need to have an emergency childbirth at home because of realities on the ground regarding birth. So Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi, Jenny. So great to have you on. And we, we both received the really sad news that our dear friend David passed away today from COVID. David Shanley was a pioneer in the world of unassisted childbirth. He was a reader and a thinker. And before he even met his wife, Laura, he was really powerful in his belief that home birth was a great way to welcome your children into your life. And so when he met Laura, the very first night they met, he introduced her to the book, Childbirth Without Fear. And Laura said they spent the whole night talking about this book and the message that was tied to it. Interestingly enough, my own mother was handed this book by her obstetrician back in the 60s when she had her first baby, and he encouraged her to read it. So imagine a world today where a doctor handed that book to one of his patients. I, I can't even fathom it, but that's what happened to my own mom, and it really influenced her with all eight of her births. So, Lynn, have you read that book? I think I read parts of it. I don't remember if I read it cover to cover, but I definitely delved into different parts of it at various times. It serves as a good resource for me. It's on my bookshelf. Well, I remember Laura telling me that Dr. Dick Reed's son mentioned to her that he really loved her work and how much that meant to her, you know, because she felt like it had come full circle with David introducing her to these concepts of giving birth without any fear and the impact that would have on the mom and the children. And then, you know, he was, a, he admired her work. And so um, David is one of the fathers of the unassisted childbirth movement. He provided tremendous emotional support to his wife, but also to his friends. And my husband and I, when we were taking our first toddling steps into the world of home birth, uh, we were pleased to have Laura and David in our circle of friends. We would get together socially. One time Laura was interviewed for the show 2020. And so I went over to their house and we all watched the, the show together and uh, had a good time seeing how they portrayed us on, on a show like that. And um, it's just been a wonderful relationship of support. And even though Laura and David eventually divorced, he was still the father of her children and a force in their lives and really in the lives of all of us who have benefited from Laura's work because David was so supportive of Laura writing her book and setting up her website, which in 1994, I had just given birth to my third child. It was a good VBAC birth at the hospital, but I was looking for alternatives. I didn't want to have any more children in the hospital. 
And I went to a library that I didn't normally go to. Usually I went to the Boulder Library to get all of my books. But one night I was at the Meadows Library, which it's just a small little library in Boulder. That's a, you know, just a branch of the main library. And I went in there and right there on the shelf is this book, Unassisted Childbirth. And it, it was the title that caught my eye. And I opened up the flap and Laura, who also lived in Boulder, had noticed that they had a copy of her book at the library. So she went over there and wrote, may all your dreams come true, Laura Shanley. And I was like, wait a minute, if this woman autographed this book, I bet she's close by. So I took the book home. I read it. And one night I stayed up all night reading her book. And then I opened my phone book the next morning and there she was, Laura Shanley, Boulder, Colorado. And I called her. And that was the beginning of our friendship in 1994. And it's been a beautiful friendship. And then Laura told me about this author named Lynn Griesemer in 1997, who was writing a book. Was it 97, Lynn, or was it 96? I can't remember. Well, Millicent was born in August of 1996. I began writing the book, and it was published August 3rd, two years from her date of birth in 1998. So, yes, we probably got in touch while I was writing it, working on it. Yeah, so I sent her my birth story from my fourth child's birth, which was in September of 96. And so we, we connected in 97. I think you changed my name. If I remember right, I think you called me Lily in your book. So that's my... I'm not, I did change names. I, I was keeping it private. It was, yeah. it was very difficult in those days. You had to be really strong in your lonely decision. And I say lonely, it's like an unusual... There, most people didn't know of anybody who gave birth unassisted until you tried to find them on the website. You know, you didn't find people in your local area, many of us. It's so true. I, it was so unusual for me to just land right in Boulder where Laura was compared to some of our friends who some are the only one in their state or their country around the world. And so right. I really felt like the, the Lord Heavenly Father helped me to cross paths with Laura and David early on because I needed their support. And in 1998, Lynn's book was published. And these two books together were two separate witnesses of what we all were experiencing. And then Lynn organized our first conference. Was it North Carolina? It was in Charleston, South Carolina. South Carolina. And we had about 40 people show up. We had Marilyn Moran. We had Martha Pugaz, Brad, and uh, his wife, Warner. I forgot her first name. Ruth. Brad and Ruth Warner. Laura showed up. Uh, many local people from South Carolina, people from North Carolina, Virginia. So we had many many visitors and speakers. And it was wonderful. And I just wish we had the energy to do that every year, the money, time, and energy. But we were all raising young families. And so it was great. When you did the second one in Colorado in 2001, you were able to have Rico and Janine Parvati Baker and Susan Baig and Laura and, and many others. Yeah, it was a great conference. And I really felt guided by the Lord again to do the conference. And I didn't want to do it. I was busy. I had four little kids. Uh, we were homeschooling. And I just felt like, you know, I felt this kind of like, I'd really like you to organize that conference for, I felt it for like two years. And I was like, no, I am too busy. I've got a young family. I don't have time. 
And then there just came a day I was like, all right, I'll do it. And then I really felt the Lord kind of guide me around the conference and reaching out to the media. We had one of the first big uh, mainstream media newspaper articles. The Boulder Daily Camera came out and interviewed me before the conference and then after the conference and they interviewed Laura. And here's this big old article in the Boulder Daily Camera. And I went to the local paper station and got 10 copies of it and mailed all of those copies of the article to the Washington Post, the New York Times, and eight other mainstream media media companies. And then, whammo, 2002, you have the New York Times reaching out to Laura. Eventually, the Washington Post reached out to you, Lynn. And mm-hmm. we have these big mainstream articles about our movement. And from there, the media just sort of exploded with documentaries, 2020, various national and local news sources doing stories. And I always have believed that the media was the best way for us to get the word out. That just, you know, mother to mother connection is great. It's powerful. But the best way to just kind of blast it out there was to use the media. And so it's been wonderful, the coverage that we've gotten, even when we had negative coverage, which there's been a lot of that, too. I always felt like it was good that we were Mm -hmm. having some good coverage. I agree with that because men and women will read between the lines and, you know, we're not, we're not fools. We're not uneducated. We're not dumb. And so the propaganda doesn't always work. People will read it and read between the lines. And even to this day, 25, 30 years later, the media will still end the article or um, story with a caveat and check with your doctor first or we're not, you don't you're not advised to do this you know they they no one wants to take blame or credit and it's so it's very interesting how it's like check with your physician check, check with your doctor and it's like well no we don't well, want to check with our doctor we want to do this on our own and what is so wrong about not having a doctor direct our birth I remember for my 40th birthday party, The Business of Being Born had been published by Ricky Lake, and it was getting a lot of press. She was doing the talk show circuit, and it was a wonderful documentary. And so I showed that at my 40th birthday party and invited some friends over and then started sharing it. And I really think around that video dropping, uh, the, the obstetric societies in four countries, in America, Canada, the UK, and Australia, started to get really antsy about home birth overall. But they used unassisted birth as the bogeyman, like, oh, these women are thinking they can just do their own prenatal care and give birth alone. So in 2007, there was these position papers that came out from all these obstetric societies, basically condemning unassisted birth, free birth as irresponsible. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And it was just, you know, not a good idea for young couples. They felt like we were really influencing the young parents out there. And I think we were, but not in the way that they thought. I I think a lot of families are very comfortable going to the hospital. And they saw our stories online and were like, well, why is my birth so different than what this woman just described she she did in the ocean or in a cabin or you know in her own bedroom you know it really created a conundrum for them because they have the way they teach birth in their medical schools and to the nurses and this is the way it's been done and it's being done and it's like a lot of people were questioning what they were experiencing 
And so I think it was that questioning that they really were upset about. And even their own doctors, you know, I just watched a woman on YouTube give birth and she was laughing, you know, <laughs> never seen a woman laughing or happy while she's giving birth. What is right. this? So what do you think about that? Lynn? Yeah. I think that is exactly what needs to happen is that we need to think about birth, how we do it, where we do it, who we're having with when we do it. Why do we give up our power to somebody else? And so all of this just shows the possibilities. It just shows the possibilities. And, you know, Jenny and I are not obnoxious birth snobs that we think everybody should be doing birth unassisted. We think that men and women should question well, what, how is it supposed to be? How was it intended to be? Why, what do I want? What would I want? And to see the possibilities is beautiful. And if we begin to censor those, when we censor those, then that's, that's very unhealthy in our culture. We, we are thinking, feeling people who, who are allowed the freedom and the decision to do, do it the way we want. And now some people might think, that's selfish. Oh, you're so selfish. You know, you, you have to be safe. Well, it's not selfish. It's, uh, I told my daughter who's 37 weeks along, you are, you have a relationship with the baby, follow the baby's lead. It's not the husband to coach you. It's not a doctor. It's not somebody else. It's not a, a, a provider, a doula, healthcare worker. Nobody should be telling you and directing you to give the birth. You know, it's, it's really, what do you want and what do you think is possible? Well, and I personally believe that all of us were guided at the time we were because birth was heading to complete technocratic birth. This is something I've learned from my friend Aisha Hajar. Uh, she was blessed to go to China and help with some births there. Apparently, they have almost 100% C-section rate which I, I couldn't believe. And then I thought, oh. well, you know, technocratic birth, um, a collectivist society, we're, you know, all doing the same thing. Of course, China would be one of the first to, to kind of establish the C-section is this is what we do. And the reason why Aisha had been invited in is that a hospital was trying to uh, woo their patients there by saying, we do American style births, which was epidural, we'll let you give birth vaginally, but not natural, you know, you, you have the drugs and the forceps and all that. So yeah. they wanted Aisha to come kind of work with their staff. And she went to a couple of these births and it was, they were so managed. And she said it was just really hard to, to witness the system because, you know, it's just like, do they even realize how removed they are from what's normal? And I predicted back in the day that back in the early nineties, that we were going to see a day when we would see like a 90, 95% C-section rate in some places. And it's true in some hospitals, some countries, they have hit that 90, 95% rate. And it's just a cry and shame to me that you have these huge swaths of women who are so far removed from anything that's natural, just normal, spontaneous birth, that this is all they know. It's horrible. It, it's almost criminal. It's a horror and it's a crime. Well, and I, I felt like we were kind of the keepers of the keys of what is tradition for humanity. And I know that Janine Parati Baker felt mm -hmm. that way. She felt like it was a sacred calling for us to come and swoop down and kind of save it 
for any of our posterity, our daughters and granddaughters, or even other generations who would be interested in learning about this. And for me, it was even one deeper that there was going to come a time when it would just be what we had to do. And so I, like Esther, had this feeling Mm -hmm. of that we were brought together in friendship and fellowship to support each other in preserving this, this form of birth. And then for just such a time as this with COVID and with hospital workers walking off the job and with shipping container issues, so many of our drugs come from China and with the chaos that's part of our culture right now with dear friends dying, literally today, our friend David died, you know, dying and just so much sickness. Would there be a time when that pregnant mom doesn't even have a hospital to go to, to help her with her birth. I believe we were guided like Esther for just such a time as this to write our books, make our videos, set up our websites and prepare so that we could be in a position to help. I don't even like the word educate. It's more like we want to just cheer parents on. We want to say, you go for it. You can do it. Yeah, encourage, encourage. We have done this. We've done it safely. Our kids are great. They're fine. You can do it too. That's how I see myself. I'm a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Me too. And I'm an encourager. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if the word helper, I don't really want to attend births. I'm, I'm a psychological, like a helper. I, I want to see, I want to watch the woman or couple blossom into the natural birthright decision. I mean, if you think this through, unassisted birth is so beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing when you talk to couples who experience this, the gleam and the excitement in their eyes. And we just can't believe the power that is taken away from us or the experience that is taken away from us and many people don't even know it or understand it. And, and so one thing I was thinking about as you were talking, Jen, I know you want to talk about if we have a disappearance of, of professionals and hospital possibility and we have to have birth at home. My question was, I hope it doesn't lead a culture into being afraid of birth and wanting to contracept and not have children in the first place. You know, that, that's a thought that I think, crossed my look, mind. I think we're already there. I, mm. I hear stories. I read them in the media. This person has decided they just want to be a dog mom. They don't want to have any kids. This one's getting sterilized because she just thinks there's too many people on the planet. Whatever reason they come up with that they don't want to have kids, I think we're there with, with certain people. Um, the direction I'd like to take the show, though, is I, I really want to tap into what you just said about the, the look in the father's faces and their eyes. Laura shared a picture of her husband, David, her ex-husband, David, on her Facebook today. And I put the link to it in the show notes because she shared the photo of their first birth of David holding John for the first time. It's right there in his countenance, what you were just describing. So if you click on that link and just click over to Facebook and look at that, she captured it. And, and they had a filmmaker at this birth, and I think it was the filmmaker who probably took the photo. But this photo is the essence of what Lynn was just saying. 
and this bonding that fathers have with their children when they're the first one to touch them, when they're the first one to hold them. That is such a powerful bonding moment. And when you think about how the role of men in our society, especially in America, has just been sort of kicked to the curb, and there's really been so much disrespect towards especially our young husbands and fathers, that I think we really need to take this this thing and and fix it, you know, and just put husbands and fathers back up on the pedestal where they belong. And a father having authority over his family and his home while his wife gives birth to their child, to me, that's the essence of this father reasserting his place in his own life, in his own world. And that when when a husband just accompanies his wife to the hospital and has to sit by quietly while his wife is cut up especially if she is needlessly cut up because that's hospital protocol. I'm not talking about, oh my gosh, she had to have the surgery. It was just absolutely essential. She would die. I'm talking about just just run-of-the-mill birth where she's just cut to pieces, sewed back together, and the baby's in the NICU for a couple weeks. And then he has to pay for all that. Mm. You know, I really think we've done a disservice to men by relegating them to that role. And that there are many young men who are like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. So they choose not to get married or have a family. And it's, it's a travesty. And so I see us, our society mm-hmm. embracing this model of childbirth for healthy young couples as being just the ideal. And if it takes a pandemic and some shipping container issues to help wake up the masses to say, look, this is a great way to have your family for whatever reason. Maybe it's an economic meltdown. Maybe there's no gas to put in our cars. Mm-hmm. We can't even drive to the hospital. Whatever it is, this is a great way to have a family. And you can do it. And there are not enough midwives and doulas out there to attend to all the mothers that if we all of a sudden flip and 80, 90, 95% of our young moms are giving birth right now, there's not enough infrastructure in place to take care of them with what's out there right now. So it could just be a husband and uh, and his wife. And my friend Heyman pointed out that a lot of people are leaving urban centers right now and move, moving out to rural areas. And so that, that jacks it up even more, you know, of just husband and wife kind of being on their own. Mm. So what do you think of that, Lynn? I think that's great. And I think that we, what can you and I do? And those of us who are proponents of this kind of birth, I really don't know that we can do much. I hope that we just put information out there. You do this weekly show, people will find the information and they ha- they, we need to learn more self um, uh, independence or how to do things, you know, what, what n- not to worry and bone up a little bit on birth, learn about it. What happens? What, do, what would you do if you had shoulder dystocia? Uh, do women even know what that is? What would you do if you hemorrhage? There's some excessive bleeding surrounding the birth. And so you can learn all of these things. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult to learn. It takes time and it takes coming across the, the, the resources that are going to help you. So I think that, um, I think it's a good thing that people, you know, have to learn about themselves and their bodies and the process of birth. Well, and the scariest complications at birth happen when the baby doesn't come out. 
I'm talking things like placenta mm -hmm. previa, where the placenta is over the covering of the cervix and the baby just can't move through that to be born. And a prolapsed cord, you know, where if the baby comes down after the cord, yeah, that could asphyxiate the baby as it's moving through the birth canal. These are serious problems that, yes, you're going to need a C-section. And hopefully, you know, if, if that happens to you, you can get some help. But most of the time, those things don't happen. Most of the time, the baby's just going to be born head first, and you just kind of need to be ready to catch it. So, mm -hmm. And maybe in a future show, you can talk about, since you were a, a, a birth instructor, maybe you can talk about placenta previa and just talk about that as a topic or uh, the complicate, possible complications you might have if you're at home and what will you do and how will you know to see it? For example, how will you know you have placenta previa? Is it, does it show itself? Uh, I'm not asking you to answer it now, but you know, to, to have a class, not a class or a little talk on that. Well, this is the caveat that I've always shared with my couples who were planning for home births with or without a midwife. Mm -hmm. Heavenly father gave moms and dads intuition mother's intuition, father's intuition for a reason. They have stewardship over their own family, over their own babies. And I trust it. And I believe that if a mother or father is in a situation where the baby's coming and there is going to be a problem and there is going to be a need for some help, that they will be guided to know what to do. And, and that to me is okay. where our safety is. It's just in that intuitive knowing about what I need. And so, yeah, three days before our birth, I could see a couple saying, look, I don't care what it takes. We're going to get to a hospital and we're going to get some help. And they'll figure out a way to do that. Or they'll say, no, we've got this. We're going to do this ourselves. And that there will be that inner knowing and they will feel calm and there will be peace and they can trust that. And so that's kind of my backup plan. It was for myself. I, I described this in a show I did last week where I talked about how with our fifth birth, I was in labor and I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. My water broke three days before he was born. And I had never even read or heard about a baby who was allowed to go past 24 hours because they don't allow it. The midwives don't allow it and the hospitals don't allow it. If your water breaks and 24 hours go by, you have to have the baby. They'll take it by C-section. So I moved into day two and I was praying, Father, is my baby safe? Am I safe? Are we okay? Kept feeling peace. Day three, I'd never heard about three days, you know, just wasn't on my, on my radar. It was a faith yeah. walk. And there was that inner knowing of, no, everything's yeah. okay. Stay hydrated. Keep yourself clean. You don't want to do any vaginal exams. No sex. Keep yourself just hydrated and well and trust. And that was that peaceful feeling is what I went with. He's okay. He's moving. I'm okay. We're going to do this. It was a faith walk. And so that's, that's what I would encourage people mm -hmm. to do is really yeah. hone in on your spiritual intuition. And that is where you'll find peace and safety. I agree. That's great. We're going to wind down the show now, but I want to share one story I read every week. I follow the news. Just it's, it's my hobby. I am a news junkie. I have been since I was a teenager. So I'm all over the place. I go to aggregate sites that share stories from all over the world. 
I have certain people on Twitter, certain journalists, certain bloggers that I go see what they're talking about to gather the news of the day. And then I take it and I put it in my videos that are on YouTube. I, I mash these stories together with all the funniest memes and I set it to classic rock and I just throw it out there on the internet. And there was a clip and some of these stories are not all funny or anything. I mean, the, the memes are funny, but there was a clip from a nurse in Australia in Adelaide and uh, she was being interviewed by the local media. They had done a walkout. There were, you know, 250 nurses out there in front of their uh, local TV station doing this demonstration and she was being interviewed and this, this reporter was asking good questions. Why are you out here? She said, well, it's not because we don't have anything better to do. We're out here because we are protesting that we will not submit to the vaccine. We do not like what we are seeing in terms of side effects from the people who are getting vaccinated. And we are going to quit our jobs rather than continue working under these conditions. She said it's being reported in the media that there's only about a hundred of us who are doing this. No, there are 3,000 in this city alone. I think she, think she said it was Adelaide or I don't remember. Wow. Have to watch my movie if you want to see the quote. So she said, she claimed that the media was lying <laughs> about how many people were walking off the job. And they were also lying about who was sick in the hospital. She said, these are not sick COVID patients. These are people who are sick from side effects from the vaccines. She said 90% 90, 90 of the ICU wow. where she works was people who had been vaccinated who were having all sorts of issues. And then she specifically mentioned myocarditis. She said, we have 20-year-olds coming in here with myocarditis. And you know what the cure is for that heart disease? It is a heart transplant. So she, oh, she said, all these sick 20-year-olds, 20-year-olds don't get myocarditis. That doesn't happen. But here they are, every third 20-year-old, myocarditis, they need a heart transplant. So she said they, they were standing up in protest for their own bodily autonomy, that they not have to get the vaccine, and they were demanding that the media start telling the truth about how many of them were leaving the medical profession and what was really going on at the hospital. So, yes, I know there will be people out there who say, anecdote doesn't count. Well, you know what? This is all we have to go with are these anecdotes and these personal stories. At this point, mm -hmm. if the media is lying to us, and I suspect they are in some cases, and we are not being told the truth about how many medical people plan to walk off the job over the next few weeks, and you've got President Biden out there saying, okay, here's a new deadline. I think it's January 4th or February 4th. I don't remember. Everybody has to get the shot. You know, here we go again. And so in this time of everything being in commotion and it's very chaotic and we don't know what's going on. If you show up at the hospital pregnant, I just have it flashed into my head that scene from Gone with the Wind where, you know, Melly's having the baby and Scarlett told Prissy to go get the doctor and, and she goes down there to the, to the railroad station. Scarlett finally goes down there to get the doctor and she's like overcome by these thousands of sick and dying men laying out there in the hot sun. She finds the doctor says, you got to come help with the baby. And he's like, are you crazy? Mm. You know, it's just a baby. There's nothing to, to bring in a baby. I've got to save these men. <laughs> and so she had to face reality in that moment. Mom's mm. in labor, nobody to help. And, you know, they did it.
But my challenge to anybody listening right now is go ahead and start getting in reality right now. If you're pregnant, if your wife is pregnant, go ahead and start thinking yeah. it through so that you do not come up against this wall of reality hitting you going, oh my gosh, we're really on our own. There's nobody available to help us with this baby. What do I do? That's it. Just start thinking it through. And if you go to my blog, JennyHatch.com, right at the top of the blog, first post is a list of resources for you to help prepare for home birth. I'm going to leave it there, pinned there until the pandemic's over. Just so you have a place. Okay, I'm going to go there, read it and check it out. I've written books. Lynn's written a book. Laura's written her book. There have been lots of books. There's videos. There's blogs. There are resources for you to go check out to help you prepare. There's online courses. There's some great moms who've set up online classes to help prepare you and your family for this experience. Use them. Don't be in denial. You know, just go use them. That's my charge for tonight. Let's start getting in reality. You got any final words, Lynn? No. Great show, and we'll see you All next right. week. All right. Thanks for coming. I hope everybody out there has a great week. All right. Bye.